Right. right now, we are going to be dismissing any children that are eight years old and under. Anybody eight years old and down can follow Mrs. Webb down to the room where they'll be having a kids' class. It goes on every one of the sessions that we have at camp as well as here. And so we have an opportunity for them to be able to go and hear the Word of God on their level while the rest of us get to listen out here without having to worry about pinching this one, holding that one down, and giving a dirty look to another one, acting up on the end of a row somewhere else. Uh, I'm uh, thankful for Cheryl's uh, class that she has, uh, that she's able to do with those young people. It's not a babysitting service. It is, uh, as I said, an opportunity for them to hear God's word on their level. As uh, we have been in meetings over the years, I've had people come to me and say they were saved under my father's ministry, and, and that was a blessing. Or uh, some in past years, they were saved under the ministry that we have in churches throughout the year as well. Uh, but uh, in the last few years, we've been running into more folks who say they were saved in my wife's class that way. We were preaching, uh, starting a meeting for a young pastor in Virginia. It was his first time to have us in his church. He was introducing us to his congregation and explained that he was saved when he was a little boy in Mrs. Webb's class. He heard the gospel, put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ then. And uh, then there was another uh, uh, young man who came up to us when we were in a meeting in Maryland. He said, I'm glad I caught you both together. He said, I was just on the phone today with my brother who's a staff evangelist for a Christian camp in Pennsylvania. And when he heard you were here, he told me to tell you thank you for your ministry because he was saved in Mrs. Webb's class when he was a little boy that way too. Some of us say, well, can a, li a little child understand that way? Hey, the Lord Jesus Christ said that unless you have the faith as of a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, I believe it's been attributed to Dwight Moody, who was on his way home from an afternoon meeting he had preached, when he ran into somebody who was not able to attend but was aware of it, and they, they stopped him on the street and said, how did your meeting go this afternoon? He said, well, we had two and a half people saved. They said, two and a half? Oh, you had two adults and a child saved. He said, no, it's just the opposite. Two children and an adult saved. You see, when an adult gets saved, God's only got half a life left to use. When a child gets saved, God's got a whole life left to use. So uh, we're thankful for the opportunity. That's why we try to have a ministry that uh, appeals to every age of the family, from the adults all the way down through the children as well. A lot of our meetings, kids are dragging their parents out to church at night, and we're thankful for that and the opportunity we have to do that. Uh, if you have a Bible with you tonight, I would invite you to take an turn with me, please, to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians in the Word of God, chapter 6. Galatians and chapter 6. We're going to see if we can get, hello, there we go, Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking there in the message time for the Word of God this evening. Uh, our ministry, uh, you can learn a little bit more about it, a little bit more about us uh, out there on, uh, in the uh, lobby. Just as you go out the door, there's a table immediately to the right side there. There are music CDs and sermon CDs on audio and video versions of Bible stories from the Puppet Castle that are available for you there. You can take advantage of those things uh, as well. But there's a digital picture frame on the uh, one side of the table there as well that uh, tonight and on Sunday we'll be running a little presentation called Meet the Webs. So if you want to learn a little bit about, or about us and you're nosy like some people are, you can just watch that for a few minutes and find out my wife is a pastor's daughter, I'm an evangelist's son, we have two children ourselves that are grown and married. Uh, one of them is uh, working with their family uh, at the Regeneration Reservation as missionaries to the Native Americans and the Apaches out in uh, Fort Thomas, Arizona. And uh, our youngest daughter and her family are in Shorewood, Illinois, helping pastor's brother uh, start a church there and uh, his brother uh, that's, that's there. And we're thankful for the fact that, uh, that anything can be out there having them work with them in ministry too. So uh, we're thankful for our daughters and uh, they, they were raised on the road along with us uh, in our trailer and grew up there and, and participated in the ministry. And so they were raised in ministry and they're ministering for the Lord with the abilities that God has given to them. Throughout the year, we're usually all over the country, all over the U.S. and outside the U.S. as well, uh, preaching the gospel, having meetings uh, in, in churches and uh, th through many different foreign countries as well. Summertime gets to be a little bit more interesting for us. We're doing more camps and vacation Bible schools and family vacation Bible schools. And I think this is the first church camp that we've ever done uh, that way. We've done uh, you know, family uh, uh, camps and other things that way, but we'll look forward, we're looking forward to the week this week, and we hope that you'll have a good time with us this week as well with all the special things that are going to be going on. Uh, you'll have to find something of interest in those things. Galatians chapter 6, if you found your way to there to the scripture passage for this evening, uh, I would invite you to stand, if you would, with me, please, this evening, as we read our scripture passage from the Word of God for tonight. 
as they did in the Word of God when the Word of God was read. Galatians 6, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 17. It says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Let's bow forward a prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight. We thank you for the freedom we have to gather in this place. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you might undertake for the preaching and the applying of your word to each of the hearts here, and that in the invitation you might bring about the decisions that you desire to be made. We would ask tonight if there's even one who's not certain that they are a child of the King, they would not leave here without that absolute assurance that Jesus is theirs. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to us as believers May there be evidence of our salvation in our lives as being a child of the King as well. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for His sake and for His honor and glory tonight. Amen. You may be seated this evening. I wonder if I could ask you, are you a child of the King? Paul here in this passage of Scripture is dealing with a problem that he had between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. He's writing to the believers who are scattered throughout Galatia. The problem was that the Jewish believers were telling the Gentiles that unless they were circumcised, kept the ceremonial laws and the feast days, and became a member of the synagogue, in other words, literally uh, uh, changed over to being a, a proselyte to Judaism, they weren't going to go to heaven. And Paul has to write to them and say, no, it's, it's not an outward mark like circumcision or some other such thing that, uh, that has any proof of our salvation. He said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything. It doesn't prove anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, what rule? The rule of a new creature, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. And then he says, from henceforth let no man trouble me for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So what kind of marks do you suppose the Apostle Paul is referring to in this passage of Scripture? Maybe an illustration tonight might help us with that. Uh, I was in a church one time uh, having revival meetings outside of the city of Baltimore, Maryland, and I was standing in the lobby shaking hands with people as they were coming through the lobby going into the service, and uh, there were two or three other small groups of people out in the lobby having little conversations among themselves, and uh, the door to the parking lot opened, and in through the lobby ran a boy and a girl who both had to have had the brightest shade of red hair I've ever seen in my entire life. It was not dyed red like you see some people dye their hair pink and purple and all kinds of green or whatever these days. It was naturally red hair, but it was so bright I felt like asking them when they ran by if they had battery packs on to keep it glowing that way. And everybody else in the lobby noticed the same thing because they had all stopped their conversations and looked around and realized everybody quit what they were doing because of the same thing. And they went back to their conversations again. Well, about another minute after, the door to the parking lot opened again and in through the lobby came a man and a woman who both had the identical shade of red hair. And everybody in the lobby stopped their conversation and greeted those visitors as they made their way through the lobby and into the auditorium. And then everybody in the lobby went to the door of the auditorium to peek around the corner to see whether or not what they suspected was true. And indeed it was because as that mom and dad came and were getting ready to sit down in the middle aisle in the auditorium, they, wrote, they called for their two children, the red-haired kids that were up looking at the front of the puppet stage, and they ran back and sat down with their mother and father in the row. Everybody in the lobby turned and looked at each other, smiled, and nodded their heads. Nobody had to engage more than two brain cells to figure out to whom those red-haired children belong. That red hair was a dead giveaway that would let anybody who wanted to know or for that matter, even somebody who didn't want to know, know whose children those children really were. And what Paul is telling us in this passage of Scripture this evening that I want you to see with me together in the time that we take is that if you really are a child of, king, of the King of Kings, there are certain birthmarks of a believer. Certain things which do not save us themselves, but are evidence of the fact that we have been saved. Now, I meet lots of people in my ministry that claim to be saved. To be honest with you, I don't believe a word they say. 
Why, Brother Webb? Because when you examine their lives, there seems to be no evidence whatsoever that they do belong to the Lord. And then there are others who genuinely are children of God who wrestle sometimes with the assurance of their salvation. I've met some Christians over the years that have gotten to the point of panic attacks, uh, afraid that if they died at night in the middle of their sleep, they would be lost. Uh, Satan twisting scriptures they may have heard some preacher preach or whatever else as well. And they wrestle with the assurance of their salvation. There are some people that pray and ask Jesus to save them every other year or every other revival or every other week in vacation Bible school or, or children's church or some such thing that way. And I've often said to folks, look, if you've asked the Lord Jesus more than once to come into your life, then you don't really understand what salvation is. That's, the Word of God tells us that we can have that assurance that we really are children of God. And if we are saved, there will be certain birthmarks of the believer. If you are, are truly saved and you struggle with that, I think sometimes that's usually because of one of two issues. Either A, people sometimes are not spending time with God as they ought to. If you're not reading God's Word, God's not talking to you from His Word, you're not going to God in prayer and seeing Him answer your prayers, then the devil accuses you of not knowing the Lord. Or it may be that you're harboring sin in your heart because we know that God's Word says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so if you're praying and praying, yet God is not answering your prayer because there's sin in your heart, the devil again will attack with accusations that you are not a child of God because if you were, God would be answering your prayers. And so there are various reasons why many people struggle with these things. What I want to do tonight at the outset of our week of church camp is to help you to get settled once and for all if there's any issue at all in your life, whether or not you truly are a child of the king. I'd like us to look at the birthmarks of the believer. There are five of them. We're going to go to another book to find them as we've laid the foundation here through the Apostle Paul in the Scripture. Turn with me, if you would, back further in your Bible to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John, if you would, please. We're going to go back there in the Word of God and examine what God's Word says. That's back toward the back of your Bible. We already looked at Galatians chapter 6. We're going to go to the book of 1 John. And we're going to be looking at the birthmarks of a believer. The first place I want us to go is the book of 1 John chapter 5, if you would please. 1 John and chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 13 to begin with, because when you begin to talk about having the assurance of salvation, there are some people that will tell you that it is impossible for somebody to truly know whether or not they're saved and whether or not if they die, they're going to go to heaven. They'll say, you can't really know that for sure. In fact, I've had some people say, well, if you say you know that if you died tomorrow or 10 years from now, you're going to go to heaven, you are presuming upon the grace of God. I always answer that question by saying, I'm not presuming on anything. I'm depending on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the final word of God. But look at 1 John 5, verse 13. What does it say? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may, what? What? K-N-O-W, know what? That ye have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. God's Word, does it, does it tell us in 1 John 5 verse 13, does this verse or does not this verse say you can know for sure whether or not you have eternal life? It does, doesn't it? And do you know how many chapters there are in the book of 1 John? I'll give you a hint. If you're reading that verse, you're in the last one. So how many chapters? Five chapters. Are they very long chapters? No, they're rather short chapters, as a matter of fact. If you were a slow reader, you can probably read through the entire five chapters of 1 John in 20 minutes or less. But do you know how many times in these five chapters alone of the Bible, never mind the other 65 books, just this one book, and it's five short chapters, do you know how many times God uses the word know, or its equivalent referring to knowing you are saved or knowing you have eternal life? 32 times. 32 times God's Word says we can know for sure that we have absolutely eternal life. Five chapters and 32 times God says we can be certain that we have eternal life. Any person, pastor, priest, or pope who tells you you cannot be sure is lying to you. Because the Word of God is very clear. Yes, you can be sure. So what then are the birthmarks of a believer? Thanks, brother. I appreciated them. Remote doesn't seem to be behaving. The, the, the first is not so much a birthmark as it is 
our birth certificate. That is the Word of God. The Word of God. The Bible is our birth certificate. If you were going to leave the country to go anywhere in the world, you would have to have a passport to do so. And in order to get a passport, then you first of all have to send in the application, the fees, the photographs, and a copy of your birth certificate. It can't be a photocopy. It has to be a copy from wherever it is they keep the records where you were born with the raised stamp seal on it that they can see. And they then use that as the basis for which they make a passport for you to come and go from the country. So they want to see the black and white documentation that you are who you say you are, that you were born when you said you were, to whom you said you were, and your name is what you say it is. That's proved by that birth certificate. well, the Bible is our birth certificate as well. It is the Bible that tells us about our source. Amen. We didn't evolve on this planet. We're not protoplasm caught in the cosmic matrix, but rather in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made the first man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And so the Bible tells us that God created us. That's a wonderful thing to be able to know. We're not survival of the fittest. We are made specially and specifically by God. He knows even the very hairs of our heads are numbered as well. And so the Word of God tells us of our source. It tells us of our sin. It tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us that can look at the Ten Commandments of God's Word and say that we've kept them. We can't even say we've kept the first one of God's Ten Commandments. Well, you say, preacher, what do you mean? It says, thou said of no other gods before me. You say, well, I protest. I've always believed in God. He's always been God to me. Well, let me ask you all two questions we can all answer together. How many of us here have ever done something we knew God said we should not do? My hands first went up. If you're honest, yours is up too. How many of us here have ever not done something we knew God said we ought to be doing? Again, if you're honest, your hand is raised. What's the point, Brother Webb? It's quite simple. Anytime we know what God wants us to do and we choose our will and our way over God's will and God's way, we have made ourselves the God of our lives and we have broken the first commandment. I'd submit to you that even those of us who are born again believers probably break that commandment more often after we're saved than we do before we're saved. Because how many times do we find ourselves, if we're not careful, running the preaching of God's word or the scripture we've read through the sieve of whether we agree with it or like it first before we decide we're going to do it or not? Anytime we put God's word under subjection to our will, we make ourselves the God of our lives. We violate the first of the Ten Commandments. Why did God give us the Ten Commandments if he knew none of us was ever going to be able to keep them? The Bible tells you in Romans 3, verse 20, by the law is the knowledge of sin. What's that mean? Well, go out here on on, uh, Wagner Road and drive 150 miles an hour back and forth up the the side of town. And, And if there's no stop sign or stop light or speed limit sign, you haven't done anything wrong. But the minute somebody puts up a speed limit 45 mile an hour sign or puts a stoplight or a stop sign on that road and then you breeze up and down the road at 150 miles an hour without stopping if you didn't realize you did wrong someone else will likely assist you in understanding that fact and an officer of the law will pull you over and say didn't you see that sign by the law is the knowledge of sin People say, but, well, wait a minute, brother, what's sin? I mean, sin to your church may not be the same as sin to my church or sin to somebody else's church. God didn't leave that up for our discussion or definition. He gave us the definition in 1 John 3, verse 4, which says sin is the transgression of the law. And there's not one of us who has not transgressed God's laws. And why did we transgress? Because somebody put a gun to our head or a knife to our throat and threatened to kill us or one of our family members if we didn't? No, of course not. The book of James, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Translation, we sin because we choose to. Just like our human parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Romans 5, 12 said, Wherefore is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for the law of sin. And we can point back at Adam and Eve and say, Well, it's all their fault. If they hadn't sinned against God, I wouldn't have been born a sinner. But there's not one of us who hasn't chosen just like they did to disobey God's law as well. And so the Bible tells us our source, our sin, our sentence you know, I tell folks I grew up in a patriotic family. I had very patriotic parents. If I disobeyed them, they laid the stripes. I saw the stars. <laughs> 
We all understand discipline. We all understand punishment for wrongdoing. And the Bible tells us, of course, that the punishment God has declared for those that have sinned against him is death. Ezekiel 18, 4, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Uh, Hebrews 9, 27 says it's appointed unto man wants to die. You probably didn't wake up this morning, stretch and look out the window and say, huh, nice day. I don't want to die today. But you ought to consider it because you could. There's not one of us here tonight that's guaranteed another breath, another heartbeat, or another moment of life. The Bible tells us there's a sentence for our sin that we have earned because of our willing, willingness to sin, and that is death that is followed by hell, according to Christ in Luke 16, that then goes to a great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and ends up at the end of that judgment, culminating in eternal separation from God, forever burning, yet never consumed, for death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the Bible tells us we all have that sentence we have earned that we deserve because of our sin. But praise God, it is also the Word of God that tells us our, our substitute. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll say this again later on, perhaps on Sunday, but I'll say it tonight as well. There's only one way a holy, righteous, and just God, Lord of all the earth, could make a way of forgiveness for us and escape from punishment of sin and an entrance into his heaven and yet be holy and just and righteous and punish all sin by death. And it wasn't by lowering his standards or changing his laws. The only way that a holy God could do so is that someone else who never sinned had to be punished for everyone else who has. That leaves you and me out because we've got our own sin to deal with. I can't take care of anybody else's. I've got my own to worry about. And so do you. There's only one person who was ever born on this planet without sin, and that's who? Jesus Christ. There's only one person who ever lived on this planet his life without sinning, and that was Jesus Christ. Therefore, there's only one person who could go to Calvary's tree and take our sins upon himself and be crucified and die for you and for me and shed his precious blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter 2.24 said, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. The Word of God makes it plain. Jesus Christ died in our place, paid for our sin, rose again from the grave, proving that His payment was accepted by God the Father. And He offers the gift of eternal life because the Bible then tells you not only about our source, our, our sin, our, our sentence, and our substitute, it tells us about our salvation and how we can have our sins forgiven because of Christ. Three simple things we need to keep in mind. First, we need to repent. You won't hear that word in some churches today. But the Bible says in Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says in Luke 24 verses 46 and 47, Jesus speaking, said that it was meet that the Son of Man should be crucified, buried, and the third day rise again, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations. The Bible says we need to repent. What does that mean? What if I walked up to you tonight and I slapped you across the face as hard as I could? Whack! That'd be rather startling, wouldn't it? And then I said, oh, I'm so sorry for that. I didn't mean to do that. Would you forgive me for that? You'd say, okay, Brother Webb, you're visiting evangelists. We'll give you a break and we'll forgive you. I said, oh, thanks for being so gracious. And I nail you a second time. Whack! And I said, well, you nasty hand, you stop that. Would you forgive me for that again? You say, okay, Brother Webb, I'll forgive you for that again. And I said, oh, thank you for being so kind. And I nail you a third time. Whack! And I said, I don't know why that keeps happening. Would you forgive me once more? You say, I'll tell you what, I'll be Christian about it. I'll turn the other cheek. I say, good, I'll hit that one too. Whack! How many of you think I'm really sorry I'm slapping you in the face? Nobody? Oh, come on. I mean, girls, I said I'm sorry. Doesn't that mean anything? No, how do you know I'm not really sorry? Well, it's obvious, right? I keep on doing it. So if I'm really, truly, honestly sorry, I'm making an impression on your face that the FBI could identify the fingerprints of, what am I going to do besides say I'm sorry? I'm going to 
stop. I'm up north. If you're in down south, it's y'all quit. Or if it's a group of people, it's all y'all quit. But it means the same thing. I'm not just going to say, I'm sorry. Whack. Oh, please forgive me. Whack. Oh, you're so gracious. Whack. Oh, thanks for forgiving me again. Whack. Uh, No, if I'm sorry, I'm going to turn from what I said I was sorry for. Now, do not misunderstand what I just said. You and I cannot change our lives to make ourselves any better so that God will save us. It is he who by his power will change our lives when he saves us. But he requires that when we come to him for that salvation, there be a willingness to allow him to do so. I like to put it this way. Repentance is a change of heart and mind that results by the power of God in a change in your life. That's repentance. There's no repentance. There's no salvation. Has there been repentance in your heart? I would challenge you. Because some people hear a preacher preach about hell, fire, damnation, and torment, and they get scared to death and say, oh man, I don't want to suffer in a lake of fire for eternity, but I don't want to change the way I'm living either. So tell me, preacher, what's the prayer i got to pray to be saved? Oh yeah, dear Jesus, please save me. Me now that I prayed that magic prayer, I can keep lying and cheating and carousing and doing what I did before, because hey, I prayed the magic prayer, I get to go to heaven, amen? Is that true? No, that's not repentance. You suppose God knows whether somebody means business with him when they make that decision? I like to put it this way. If you don't mean business with God, he doesn't do business with you. So the Bible says we need to repent. What else? We need to believe on Christ. Acts 16. Remember the story of the Philippian jailer? You guys know, Nathan, did you know the Philippian jailer was the smallest man in the Bible? Didn't know that? There are lots of small men in the Bible. There's a, there's a guy in the New Testament named Zacchaeus, right? He sold, sold wee littles for a living. That's what the song said. When I was growing up, it said Zacchaeus was a wee little man. So I figured that was like being a Culligan man or something else that way, that he sold wee littles. But anyway, you know, he was small enough. He had to climb up the tree to see the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can go to the Old Testament. There's a guy by the name of Nehemiah. There's a fellow in the book of Job by the, by the name of Bildad the Shuhite. Depend, and that's pretty short, depending on whether we're in high tops, low tops, or flip-flops, I guess. But I think by far the flipping jailer is the smallest person in the Bible because he slept on his watch. I'd have to be very small to sleep on my watch. But in any case, remember the story how he came into the jail after the earthquake had taken place and the doors were standing open and the chains had fallen off all the prisoners and he came to Paul and Silas and asked them, what must I do to be saved? They didn't say join our church. They didn't say get baptized. They didn't say go on a pilgrimage. They didn't say keep the sacraments or confess to a priest. They did say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that night he believed. And he took them home to his house and he washed their beating marks and got his whole household out of bed and had them share the good news of the gospel with them. And they all believed on Christ and then they were baptized in testimony of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says we need to believe. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the Bible says we need to put our faith in what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. Repent, believe, and then what? Receive Christ as Savior. Because salvation is a free gift. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved through faith, and the not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the Word of God tells us we need to accept that gift. I run into people many times in my ministry. Do you realize you're a sinner? Yes, sir. Are you sorry for your sin? I guess so. Would you, would you you like to uh, ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and to save you right now? Uh, not today, preacher. Not right now. Some other time. I'm not ready yet. Fill in the blank or whatever other excuse you want to use. But you can have all the facts of salvation in your head, but unless you've got the faith of salvation in your heart, you're still lost. How do I receive that gift? It tells you very plainly in Romans 10, 9, 10, and verse 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Nobody else can do that for you. Thou shalt be what? Saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto what? Salvation. And then it says in verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the promise is given to us there by God, where in his word. I just had a phone call uh, two nights ago, I believe it was, from my youngest grandson. My daughter called and said, uh, Micah has something he wants to tell you, grandmom and granddad. 
I thought I had an idea, and it was true. Micah said, I, 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 I became a Christian. I asked Jesus to save me. Praise the Lord for, for our youngest grandson putting his faith in trust. I only got one grandchild left that needs to be saved, praise the Lord, out of seven. And uh, we're, thank, we're still praying for that one as well. She's younger than he is, so she's got time. But in, anyway, in any case, uh, praise the Lord for the fact that uh, he made that decision. He called on the Lord Jesus. And what gave him, I said to him, how do you know that? And he said, I, he's, he wasn't sure what I meant. And I said, where did you hear that promise? He said, the Bible. I said, yes, sir, buddy. Through the Bible, God's word. Heaven and earth may pass away, Matthew 24, 35 says, but my word shall not pass away. And our faith is not based on a feeling or an experience or what someone else said. It is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and what the final word of God. The Bible is our birth certificate. I was preaching in a Christian camp once in southern Ohio, and they were, they were running the teen week along with the junior week concurrently. I was preaching to the teens, and there was an, uh, a, 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 a Native American Indian chief missionary that was uh, ministering to the younger children and he would put on his headdress every night and he would do all kinds of things and made all kinds of leather stuff a leather craft for the kids for the week of camp that he was there but their service started a half an hour before ours did so the pastor and I would always sneak down and see what they were doing before we'd go up and get ready to start our service well one night uh, we were down there and this fella uh, put on his headdress and everything and he said guess what we're going to do tonight kids and, and the kids said what and the pastor and I said what he said we're going to have a genuine Indian scalping party tonight the kids said yay the pastor and I said yay he said guess who we're going to scalp the kids said who and the preacher said who and he said the pastor and brother Webb the kids said yay he said come on up here fellas we uh, pastor was the pastor so I let him go first right so I followed him up to the front and when we got to the front he reached in the pulpit and he pulled out a genuine Indian tomahawk that you could have probably shaved with it was sharp enough he said now fellows when I embed this in your skulls where will you go the pastor said heaven I said heaven he said prove it the pastor said well it says in John 3 16 that God so loved the world that, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life and when I was young I called on the Lord Jesus and I believed on him and I asked him to save me and the verse says I have everlasting life and he looked at me and said what about you well now the pastor had stolen my verse so I said well pastor in Romans 10 verse 13 the Bible promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and when I was a boy I prayed and I called on the Lord Jesus and asked him to save me and he says his word says that I'm saved he said you know what fellas those are such good answers we'll let you live the pastor and I said yay the kids were really disappointed <laughs> what are you saying brother Webb? what if anybody walked up to you at work or here at church and said hey do you know for sure you're saved yeah well Prove it to me. Could you give them a Bible reason why you know? Because it's the Word of God that is our birth certificate. What are the other birthmarks of a believer? Let's list them quickly for you tonight before we let you go. The second birthmark of a believer is the indwelling Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Go ahead, brother. See if it'll change for you. There you go. How about that? It works well for a finger. All right. The, the, what we're looking then at is 1 John and chapter uh, 3 and verse 24. Look at 1 John 3, verse 24. What does it say? And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the what? Spirit which he hath given us. If you look at 1 John uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse 6, last phrase of the verse. This, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Look at 1 John 4, verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit, 1 John 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now, wait a minute. Who is the witness that dwells in every believer? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Bible says that when you and I put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within. How do I know he's there? Not by speaking in tongues. Those things, according to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians 13, those sign gifts that are mentioned in Mark 16 are not for today because we have now the completed Word of God that tells us what is and what is not of God. The sign gifts are no longer necessary. 
But there, the Bible tells us that one of the things that shows that we're a child of God is that the Holy Spirit of God does indwell in us. And Jesus said to his disciples in John chapters 14 through 17, before he went back to glory, he said, I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send another comforter unto you and he shall abide in you forever. He will teach you things to come and, 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 and those things whatsoever I've commanded unto you. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ said, one of the jobs that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God does in our lives is to help us to understand the Word of God. Pick up a Bible before you're saved and read it. You don't understand much, do you? What's that about? I don't get this stuff. Born again, saved, what's that? But then when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you begin to understand more. Why? Because you became a PhD in theology all of a sudden? No. But because the Bible says one of the things the Spirit of God does is to take the things of Christ and show them unto us. By the way, how do I know the charismatic movement is a cult of the Holy Spirit and not the truth of the gospel, because it emphasizes the Spirit of God, 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 the river is here and all the rest of that stuff. You know what the Bible says? The Spirit of God will not speak of Himself. He points to Christ, not to Himself. And the Word of God tells us that the Holy Spirit of God helps us understand the Word of God. Look, why is it difficult to legislate righteousness to an ungodly world or country? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the natural man, that's the unsaved, unregenerated person, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned. If you don't have the Spirit of God in your heart, you don't understand the righteousness and the rules of God. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, then you understand those things. Why? Because the Spirit of God helps you understand them. You look at the religious television programming, all you're going to get is confused on TV. But you know, if you're really a born-again child of God, you ought to be able to discern what is and what isn't right there as far as that's concerned. And the Spirit of God, you'll find many times when you hear somebody preaching foolishness, the Spirit of God will tell you in your heart, that's foolishness. That's nonsense. I know, have you known some, some unsaved folks who learned from their saved loved ones how to tell what was nonsense as far as preaching was concerned. But the fact of the matter is that the Spirit of God helps us understand. And there's another very important job the Spirit of God does too. Jesus said he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What does he do? He convicts and convinces of sin. As a matter of fact, if you're a born-again child of God, you cannot sin without the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 8, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Revelation 3, verse 19 says, As many as I love are rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What does all that tell us? It tells us if you're a born-again child of God, hey, you go out and live in sin and wickedness, God's Spirit's going to convict you. Before you're saved, you can go out to the bar and drink. You can go smoke all you want to, use all the drugs you want to, fool around and whatever you want to do in sexual sin, and it doesn't bother you a bit. But when you get saved and you try to do any of that stuff again, all of a sudden something in here starts saying, hey, you shouldn't be talking like that. You shouldn't be smoking that. You shouldn't be drinking that. You shouldn't be hanging around with that crowd. You shouldn't be looking at that on the Internet. That's not something. That's someone. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible literally says in that eighth verse of Hebrews 12 that if you can live in disobedience and sin against God and God does not rebuke you and He does not chasten you and His Spirit does not convict you, what you need is not revival, what you need is redemption. You need to be saved. Because the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict and convince us of sin. So do you see that in your life? Not only should you have the, 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 uh, the security of knowing that God's Word says you're saved, but also then there's that fact of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What's the third birthmark of a believer? Quickly, uh, uh, tonight, it is a love for the brethren. A love for the brethren. Look at what the Word of God says to us in 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only son, begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And then it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one 
another. The Word of God tells us in the, in the Scriptures here tonight as well about our love for one another when it says in 1 John 3, verse 14 and follow. Well, actually, back up to verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels from compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And here Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So the Bible says the third birthmark of the believer besides the word of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit is a love for the brethren. What's that mean? Number one, you ought to love to be with the brethren. There's something wrong with your testimony as a Christian if you would rather hang around with a cussing, swearing, drinking crowd down at the party place than to be with God's people in God's house where the word of God is being taught. The longer you're saved, the more you will have in common with those that love the Lord, and the less you'll have in common with the old wicked of the world. You're just not going to be at home in the wickedness of that world anymore. The Word of God tells us there's going to be a love to be with the brethren. That's why David said in Psalm 122, verse 1, Behold, uh, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. I wonder, young folks and adults, when it's time to go to church, is it we have to go to church? Or is it we get to go to church today? The attitude shows where your heart is. And the Word of God tells us we ought to love to be with the brethren. Secondly, we ought not to be fighting once amongst ourselves with the brethren either. In 1 John uh, chapter 3 and verse 14, it said, We know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have what? War one with another, right? <laughs> no. He said, if you have love one for another, that shows your child of God is the world that picks on each other and pecks like the, like the, 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 the ones on the runt in the litter, uh, like the chickens do or whatever else that way. And that's, that's, that's the world's crowd, not God's people. We ought not be fussing and fighting and fuming with one another. You can be robbing your church of the reviving power of God because of bitterness you're holding in your heart towards some other person. I remember my wife and I were in a church outside of Washington, D.C. Honestly, she would tell you the same thing I'm telling you, but when you walked in the church, you just felt like something was not right here. There was just an air about the place. And it was a Sunday through Friday meeting. It was Thursday night. I had turned the invitation over to the pastor. We had not seen anybody saved. Not one person was at the altar. And when the pastor came to the front, he said, we're going to have one more stanza of a song done. And no one comes. We'll close the service. And as they started that last stanza, a lady over here on this half of the auditorium started to cry, came out of her seat, came down the aisle, started across the middle. Another lady over here on this side started to cry, came out of her seat, down the aisle, and started across the middle. They were in into each other at the center aisle, realized who they were, they were who they were looking for, grabbed the whole of it and started hugging each other and crying all over each other. And I don't think it was more than a minute or two before the entire congregation emptied the altar. I just stood there. And the pastor said after the service was over, Brother Webb, I suppose you wonder what happened tonight. I said, yeah, if you got some information, I'd appreciate a bit of enlightenment. And he said, well, did you notice it was after that woman and that woman that everybody? I said, yes, sir. He said, they're sisters. He said, they've been feuding for seven years. Everybody in the church has picked sides. Everybody sat on that half of the church, on that half of the center, from the center aisle, was for that sister. Everybody that sat on that half of the auditorium was for the other sister. All I could think of was Jesus in Luke 16. In between was a great gulf fix betwixt no man could pass. But he said, everybody in the church has chosen sides. And he said, they've been fighting for seven years. And he said, Brother Webb, I'm not kidding you when I tell you we have not had a soul saved in our church services in seven years. But he said, they got right with each other tonight. And not only did we see a revival among the church people, but the very next night, the last night of the meetings, a dozen lost people came, walked the aisle, and trusted Christ as personal Savior. Three of them came by and said to me, as far as I know, they hadn't spoken to each other before they came and talked to me, and they came one at a time to me at different times. But they said something like this, Preacher, do you know why I got saved tonight? And I said, no, tell me. They said, if God can fix that, he can save me. 
Now, I don't know your heart tonight. I don't know whether you're mad at some other young person in the youth department, not young person, or I don't know whether or not you're upset at your parents or your parents are upset at you, or I don't know if you're mad at somebody else in the church. I remember one pastor in Wyoming that we was going to go to have a meeting with just for a Sunday, and he said, uh, well, he said, we'll be glad to have you come. He said, I'm not sure who will be here. He said, I've got three congregations, A congregation, B congregation, and C congregation. He said, if A is going to be there, they won't come. If B knows A is going to be there, they won't come. But if we can get them all to show up, there will have congregation C. It'll be a good sign crowd. Thank the Lord we had a congregation C. In fact, God blessed in such a way that he said, we're going to start back our Sunday services that we had, and this is pre-COVID, uh, that they hadn't been having because there was nobody showing up for that. Uh, praise the Lord for that. But look, you can let a grudge, you can let a bitter spirit harbored in your heart hinder the work of God in your church and in your life. In fact, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, the Bible says, if you come to the altar to offer your gift before God and you realize there that your brother hath ought against you, first be reconciled to your brother. It says, leave there thy gift. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer the gift before God will receive it. I wonder how many prayers don't get past the ceiling, Joyce, because God knows we're holding a grudge or a spirit of, of, of bitterness in our heart towards someone else. They did something to me. How long ago? Ten years ago, Percher. Well, I didn't start it. God doesn't care who started it. He cares you finish it. Go and get it straightened out with that person. Don't hinder the work of God because of bitterness. And then the third aspect of loving the brethren is, is what it says in Galatians 6.1. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual do what? Criticize one in a spirit of meanness. Amen? No, some Christians practice that. What does it say? If a brother be overtaken with a fault, you which are spiritual, gossip about one in a spirit of concern. Sad to say, folks, that's probably what happens more often. What do you mean? You may be able to think of somebody who got saved and started coming to the church here, and then the devil started working on their life, and they'd be kind of, kind of hit and miss, and then it was more miss than hit, and now they're gone altogether. And what do we do? We find ourselves sometimes standing in a lobby or out in the parking lot if the weather's nice saying, where's so-and-so? Oh, don't you know what's going on in their life now? <gasps> really? Isn't that a shame? They don't need us to stand around and talk about them. They need us to go talk to them. Because Galatians 6.1 says, If a brother be overtaken with a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And I've seen literal revivals break out in churches when somebody not only got their own heart right with God, but the next thing that happened when they got up off their knees was they became concerned for somebody else they knew needed to be right with God as well. And they went to them. I can tell you story after story for the sake of time. I won't do that tonight. We've got lots of time at camp to share things like that. But let me, let me get on with you beyond this then. There's that love for the brethren that is an evidence that we are a child of God. The Word of God, our birth certificate, the indwelling Holy Spirit, a love for the brethren. And here is another. It's the obedience to God's commands. Look at 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5. That obedience to God's commands. What does it say? And hereby we do know that we know Him if we what? Keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a what? I didn't hear you, what? I still didn't hear you, what? Oh, what you people just said. Don't you know the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. And there you sit, you, you, you fundamental Baptist Christians, you in your church, judging people. Ever heard that before? Practice biblical Christianity, you will sooner or later. Don't let anybody misquote the Bible to you. Tell them to go back and read Matthew 7 where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. And you'll find that what he said there was not that you should not judge at all, but we should judge righteous judgments by the word of God, which judges all of us. It even goes on and tells you, how can you help your brother with a speck that's in his eye if there's a beam in yours? First get the beam out of your own eye, and then you can see more clearly to help your brother with a speck in his. No, the word of God tells us that if we really are saved, there's going to be an obedience to God's commands. He that saith, I know him, he keepeth not his commandments. You didn't say it, I didn't say it, God said it, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. I don't know how many times I've been out. My pastor and I were down the road from our church once, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel with folks. And a young woman came to the door and, and the pastor, I was talking to her. She said, oh, I, I, I'm a member of the church up the road here. He said, really, what church is that? She said, the one about a quarter mile up the road sits back off the field. He said, that's interesting. I'm the pastor of that church. I've never seen you there. Lots of people say, well, I just don't agree with being a member of a church. I'm sorry. Have you read your Bible lately? Read the New Testament. Everybody I can find in the New Testament except for the thief on the cross, and they wouldn't let him off for baptism either. Everybody else who got 
born again, not only got baptized, but identified themselves as a member of a local visible assembly of believers, the church of Corinth or Philippi or Antioch or Jerusalem or wherever. To whom do you think the letters of the churches were written? Not to a property or a building. Look, Ann Arbor Baptist Church is not this building, nor is it the property. This is where Ann Arbor Baptist Church meets. You are the church, the people, the call that assembly. And if you're saved, then you ought to be a member. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, I just don't agree with that. Well, there are a lot of folks that say they're saved, but they don't obey God's commands. And the Bible says what? He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is on him. Even the lost know better than that. When, that's why when you invite some people to come to church, they'll say, I'm not interested because the church is full of what? Hypocrites. What's that mean? It means they've seen a lot of people who claim to be saved who they know aren't doing what God's Word commands. And so the Bible says if we're really a born-again child of God, we're going to want to do that. Look, look, if you went down to the pet shop, girls, guys, uh, and, and you brought home something that had feathers on it, and a little pointy beak and pointy feet, and you put it on a branch of a tree, and you start to push it, and it starts going, help, 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 don't push me, I'll break my neck. You'd say, well, that's something weird about that, because when you talked about what you brought home from the pet store, I thought you had a bird. Huh. Or if I brought home something from the pet shop that was, you know, I got it out of a bowl, and it had fins on the side, now, you know, like this, and, and I got it out at home, and I got ready to lower it into the aquarium, and it starts flopping around going, help, help, don't put me in there, that's water, I'll drown, swim, I don't know how to swim, fish food. You'd be scratching your head about that one too, right? Wait a minute, I thought, Brother Webb, you were talking about bringing home a fish, but look, that, that must not be, why, why would you question it? Because you say, preacher, it's natural for a bird to fly, it's natural for a fish to want to swim, it ought to be natural for a Christian to want to obey God's commands. Doesn't mean we're perfect. When we fall into sin, we're going to get right back out of it. It's the problem that, that uh, we, if, if we say we're saved and we want to keep on habitually living in sin, that God says we're lying. And God tells us that if we really are saved, we're going to have an obedience to His commands. Anybody here old enough to be back from the very first Patch the Pirate album? Did you hear what I said? Album? Okay. Vinyl? that was introducing Patch the Pirate, I think, or whatever was the title of it or whatever. Yeah, what, what, what is the very best way to show that you believe? I know you have Patch Club here, right? What is it? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. The Bible says, John 14, 15, you can finish this one, I'll bet. Jesus said, if ye love me, why? Wear a 14-foot lapel pin that says Jesus first. No, a bumper sticker covers the whole backside of your car that says honk if you love Jesus. No, it says if you love me, the, best, the very best way to show it is to keep my commandments. Are you keeping God's commandments? Here's the last birthmark of the believer. A change in your life and desires. A change in your life and desires. Would you notice what it says in 1 John 2, 15? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3 continues, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Verse 10 continues, And this is the children of God manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. God's word tells us over and over again throughout this book that if you are a genuine, born-again child of God, there will be... A change in your life and your desires. You'll never be the same again when you come to Christ. Again, if the world says, I'm not interested because the church is full of hypocrites, there's a problem. Because they ought to be saying, hey, how come you don't do the things you used to do? How come you don't go to the annual office party and drink with us like everybody used to do? How come you don't tell dirty stories anymore like you used to do? How come your language is different? How come you dress different than you used to back then? You ought to be able to share with them. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 said, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you'd have told me 50 years ago I'd be standing up in front of people preaching, I would have told you you're outside your mind. When I was a young kid, when my dad was within a range of our home base, my mother would take us to dad's meetings, and of course dad liked to have us kids sing with him and stuff like that in the services, and I'd, I didn't like to be up in front of folks, so usually while dad was shaking hands in the lobby, if the church had shrubbery, I hid behind it. 
and watched everybody go in, and then I'd go do my song or whatever I was supposed to do. And when the service ended, I'd go hide behind the shrubbery and watch everybody go home again. And, and it was in a church that had a big glassed-in lobby with big Diefenbachia plants everywhere out there. They're great. They're fat, fat leaves, look like rubber plants. They're tremendous for hiding behind. And, and uh, it was 15 minutes before the service, and my dad was shaking hands with folks coming through the lobby, and I was hiding behind that bush. And into the lobby walked a motorcycle biker. Now, I have no problem with motorcycles or the people who ride them. Okay, my father always said, buy your son a motorcycle for his last birthday. I'm not making fun. I'm just going to describe him for you, all right? He, he had a, not helm, a Nazi helmet on his head with a point on the top. He had hair clear down past his shoulders, had a big old burly beard and mustache hanging down, had his shirt unbuttoned all the way to his waist with, a, with tattoos all over and a battleship chain around his neck. He had a black skull and crossbones, something or other leather jacket with a studs on the arms. He had the, the jeans with the holes in the patches with a wallet sticking two feet out of the back pocket on a gold chain, just daring you to try to swipe it so they can stomp you to death with a heavy biker boot with a chain link fence around the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? And I thought, it's going to be an interesting service tonight. My father shook his hand, man made his way in. My father preached the message that night, and, and when we stood for the invitation, he asked anybody that wanted to be saved to step out and come. And I'm glad nobody told that fellow only sissies were supposed to get saved. Because that muscle-bound brute stepped out of his seat with tears running down that rough face into, into his beard. And he walked down the aisle and came to accept Christ as his Savior. And the next night, my, I was hiding out behind the same bush, and 15 minutes before the service started, into the lobby, I walked this nice-looking young man with a nice haircut, carrying a Bible under his arm, dressed nicely, began to shake my father's hand. My father said, nice to have you with us visiting for the first time. He said, oh, this isn't my first time here. I was here last night. My father said, you were here last night? He said, I thought I saw everyone who was here last night, and I don't remember anybody being here last night looked like you. He said, well, maybe that's because Brother Webb and I was here last night. That didn't look like me. Father said, I don't understand. He said, Brother Webb, do you remember the motorcycle biker? With him? And my father went, oh, no. That was you. It was him. Now, does somebody follow him home and preach at him through his bedroom window all night long? Or give him a sermon recording he could put in some kind of a player under his pillow so he could learn by osmosis while he slept? No. That fellow, when he trusted Christ as Savior, had the Spirit of God come to dwell in his heart. And the Holy Spirit of God, in his own common sense, said, buddy, there needs to be a difference needs to be a change in what I'm advertising with my life. And there was a change in his life. If the lost world can hear your car coming three blocks away, boom, 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 twang, 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 like you can hear theirs and you pull up, they pull up behind you, or they pull, you pull up behind them and they wonder if there's a minor earth tremor taking place in the street behind them. Or if they hear you fussing at your kids and screaming bad language back and forth between your young person and you and your young person stamps out of the house and slams in the door of the car and squeals the tires off down the road or whatever. Why did he need your Jesus? Your family's no different than theirs, any more functional than theirs. They see you popping the lid off a can of beer and slugging back another brew on the porch out back during the, the holiday. Why did he need your Jesus? You, you, you indulge in the same things of the world they do. Bible says if you get a genuine dose of God's salvation, there ought to be a change. There ought to be a difference in your life. Is there? Is there a change? Can you look at your life the longer you're saved and say, boy, look at all the stuff that's been jettisoned out of my life by the power of God because of the changes that Christ has been making in my life. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, where we began the message tonight, let no man trouble me because I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. These, these are the birthmarks of a believer. Paul said what does make a difference is a new creature. It's the birthmarks of a believer that ought to let you and anybody else know that you really are a born-again child of the King. The message tonight hopefully has confirmed that to your heart. But if it has instead convicted you that you may not truly be a child of God because you don't see these birthmarks of a believer in your life, then I would challenge you not to put off the conviction of the Spirit of God, but to get it settled once and for all with the Lord in your life tonight. These are the birthmarks of a believer. The Word of God, our birth certificate, the indwelling Holy Spirit, a love for the brethren, an obedience to God's commands, and a change in your life and desires. Let's bow together for a word of prayer tonight. We get ready to close our service this evening. I appreciate your attention as we've looked at the Word of God. I trust that tonight God has spoken to your heart. What if I could ask just a few very simple questions as we get ready to dismiss our service tonight? 
How many folks here this evening can lift a hand where you are to say, Brother Webb, you know, praise God, there has already been some time in my life when I did repent and I turned from my sin and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and I called on Him and I asked Him to come into my life and to save my soul. And if I died right here, right now, tonight, Brother Webb, I'm absolutely certain I am going to go to heaven. I know it, I'm sure. How many can lift your hand as a testimony to that tonight? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You may put those hands down. Question number two, I wonder if there's a believer here tonight who just raised your hand that would say, but Brother Webb, you know, God's Spirit spoke to my heart tonight. One or more of those birthmarks needs some work in my spiritual life. Maybe I've got bitterness in my heart towards somebody I need to get straightened out. Maybe an unforgiving spirit I need to take care of with somebody. Maybe I need to ask God to change something in my life that I've still been hanging on to that shouldn't be there anymore. Or maybe I, I, I haven't been as faithful to the house of God as I ought to be. I don't know your heart. If God spoke to your heart tonight, I wonder how many would say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, but one or more of those birthmarks needs some serious work in my life. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me tonight? How many would lift a hand to say that? Amen. God bless you. number of hands being raised throughout the congregation. You may put them down. Final question tonight. Is there anyone with us tonight that would say, Brother Webb, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really sure. I'm not really certain. I don't really know whether or not if I was to die right here, right now, tonight, whether or not I am going to go to heaven. I'm not sure of that. Maybe you'd say, I look at those birthmarks and I don't see them. And God's convicted my heart. Preacher, would you remember my hand in prayer? Because either I don't know or I'm not sure whether or not if I died right now, I'd be on my way to heaven. Here's my hand. Pray for me tonight. Anyone like that that would just slip a hand up just high enough for me to see it? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to uh, ask you to stand up or give a speech to somebody. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. If there's someone else like that tonight, preacher, would you pray for me too? God's Spirit spoke to my heart. I really don't know. I'm not sure. I'd like to know it. I'd like to be sure. I'd like to get that settled. But I'm just not sure. Here's my hand. Pray for me as well. I've seen one hand. Yes, sir. Thank you. I see that one as well. Is there anyone else like that tonight? Preacher, while you're praying for those two, here's my hand too. Remember me in prayer. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. The birthmarks ought to be there if you really are a born-again child of God. If they're not there, then as I said, what you need tonight is not revival. You need redemption through Christ. And he'll settle that with you tonight if you will. Anyone else? One last time I'll ask. Uh, i just slip it up high enough I can see it. You can put it right back down once I recognize it tonight. Anyone else? Then would you stand together with me, please, together for prayer. Everyone standing this evening. Everyone standing. I want to pray as I promised to do for those who've asked for prayer tonight. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the Word of God. I, I pray, Lord, that tonight you would have your will and way to be done in each life here. We thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters in Christ who can say they know for certain that they are on their way to heaven, that if they died tonight, they'd be with you in glory. And, Lord, that uh, some that can say they know the birthmarks of a believer point to the fact that they belong to you. Well, Lord, I pray for others of my brothers and sisters here tonight in Christ that that have asked for prayer because they realize that one or more of those birthmarks is not as clearly as it ought, uh, clear as it is as it should be in their lives tonight. And I pray that they would settle that with you. They would take the time during the invitation, whether it's to come to an old-fashioned altar of prayer or sit down in the seat where they are, but uh, seek a counselor here at the front or, uh, Lord, to deal with you by themselves. We pray that they would settle that matter with you tonight. And then, Lord, I pray most of all for those that lifted their hand tonight because they are not certain. They do not know for sure if they were to die right here, right now, tonight. They are on their way to heaven. Give them tonight, Lord, the courage to settle that with you, Lord. We pray they might even be willing to come. Let somebody take a Bible and counsel them for a few moments and help, help them get that settled. Make sure that questions are answered. That, Lord, they're at peace with that as they leave here tonight. And, Lord, we know that your desire is not that we be upset, that we be, un uh, that we be uh, in upheaval in our hearts. But you know the word of God says that will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Lord, I pray that you would help anyone that is here tonight who's not really certain whether or not they're on their way to heaven not to leave here tonight until they've settled that matter with you, we ask. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask the pianist to play just a verse or two of an invitation song. If you're here tonight and you're not really certain whether or not if you'd be on your way to heaven if you died right now, may I invite you to come? Pastor's here at the front. He'd be glad to meet you. He'll have somebody take a Bible, sir, and sit down with you if you'd like somebody to pray with you about that. Ma'am, if you're not sure you're saved, not sure if you're on your way to heaven, you come. We'll have a lady meet you here, and they'll sit down with you privately and pray with you and help you to get that settled tonight. You want to settle that? You want to take care of that this evening? God's Spirit is speaking to your heart tonight. We'd love to have somebody take the Bible and pray with you. Help you to get that taken care of tonight by God's grace. Some people may be visiting. Maybe you say, Preacher, I'm just embarrassed or I'm nervous or I'm backward about walking forward in front of a bunch of people like that. There's not a verse in the Bible that says you have to walk down an aisle in a church to go to heaven. There's not a verse in the Bible that says you have to talk to the pastor to go to heaven. 
If tonight you understand that you're a sinner and you're truly honestly sorry for that sin and you believe the Lord Jesus loved you and died for you and rose again and only He can save you, you can call on Him tonight, right now, right where you are. Right there in your seat tonight. You say, but preacher, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say to God. I'd be happy to lead you in a simple prayer you could pray right where you are tonight. But I would challenge you, don't even think about praying the prayer unless you mean what it is you're praying. Don't just repeat empty words. But if tonight you're just embarrassed or nervous or backward about walking down an aisle and talking to someone else, but you'd like to settle that, why not just bow your head right now, right where you are? Pray this simple prayer to God. You can pray it in your heart. Some pray quietly, some pray silently, some pray out loud. It doesn't matter what the volume is. It matters that you mean it. And remember this promise before you pray, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what God said. So tonight, if you want to make that decision where you are, why not just pray like this? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I am sorry for my sin. But I believe Jesus died for me. And that he rose again. And that only he can save me. So right now, God, I turn from my sin. Please forgive me. And I take Jesus as my only Savior. Please give to me now your gift of eternal life. Save my soul tonight. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. And for saving me as you promised you would. And now may I live for Jesus. For I ask in his name. Now our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I can assure you God heard it. He answered that prayer. But not only does the Bible give us the promise there, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It also does say two verses ahead of that, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. So I'd like to ask one final question before pastor comes to pray. Is there anyone here tonight that would say, Brother Webb, when I walked in here this evening, I did not know if I died, whether or not I'd be going to heaven. But when you prayed that prayer, you just prayed just now, that prayer of salvation. I prayed that prayer with you or after you right here in my seat. And I'd just like you to know, tonight I did ask Jesus to save me. If you did that tonight, would you just lift a hand high enough for me to see it? Let me rejoice with you in that decision if you made it tonight. Anyone pray that prayer just where you were? Maybe you raised your hand and asked me to pray for you before. Maybe you didn't even do that. I'd love to rejoice with you in that decision if you made it tonight. Put it up high. I might miss it if it's only half masked. It could be behind somebody's head and I don't want to miss it. I'd love to rejoice with you. Anyone like that tonight? If we can help you at the close of the service, please feel free to let us know. If you prayed that prayer, let Pastor know. He'd love to help you. He's got literature he can give to you, I'm sure, that'll help you in your walk with the Lord. It'll be a blessing to your heart tonight. Pastor, let's go. Thank you, Brother Webb. Praise the Lord for that. And if you do have a question about salvation, any, any desire to hear more, I'll be available. Others will be available to talk to you. We'd love to do that tonight. I'm looking forward to the rest of the week. Looking forward to hearing... Uh, more from God's Word and having the opportunity uh, to fellowship together at camp and let's be praying for God to do a work in each of our lives. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your goodness. We pray, Lord, that if anyone here does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would uh, draw those ones to yourself in saving faith. Uh, Lord, that you would um, deliver from any any bondage or, or blindness or whatever it may be, a stronghold that would keep someone from coming to Christ. Lord, break through, we would pray. Lord, we pray that you would keep us safe and healthy so we can go to camp and hear more of the word and have good fellowship. I pray, Lord, that you'd give the webs strength as well. Lord, we also lift up to you the Becks and ask that you'd have your hand upon Dorothy, especially, and Jean, as they just are really uh, dealing with a lot right now physically. Lord, heal them and help them, we pray. We look to you now, Lord, to give us safety as we go and to continue to work as you tear your coming in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.